listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Has the relationship between doctors and their patients been eroded by the quest for profits from big pharma and healthcare companies? A medical expert shares his recommendations, and InfoTrack reporter Gina Tedesco has the story. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Dr. F. Perry Wilson, Associate Professor of Medicine and Director of the Clinical and Translational Research Accelerator of Yale University School of Medicine. He's now out with the book, How Medicine Works and When It Doesn't. Dr. Wilson, you write that the most powerful force in medicine is not a drug or treatment. It's trust between a patient and doctor. How so? There's really nothing like the doctor-patient relationship. If you imagine the degree of intimacy that exists between a patient and a doctor, which can exceed, you know, the types of things you share even with your spouse, it's really unlike anything else in the world. And of course, there's this power discrepancy after all. The doctor is the one with the information and with that prescription pad. And In a complicated relationship like that, unless there's real deep trust that the patient believes the doctor is acting in their best interest and the doctor believes the patient is being fully honest and transparent, the whole thing is lost and falls apart. And I think we've seen some of that over the past few years. And you cite a study in the New England Journal of Medicine saying trust in physicians is lower in the United States than 23 other economically developed countries. So basically, what are the others doing right and we're doing wrong? Well, as a physician myself, I don't think it's that, you know, physicians have gotten worse. I don't think our practice of medicine is worse, but we are operating in a system that can feel and sometimes is actively hostile to our patients. Healthcare costs come to mind as the number one issue here. They're completely out of control. And although they are not driven by physicians at all, really, we are wrapped up in that. The system feels to people like it is driven by profit, that it doesn't care about them individually, except insofar as it is taking their money or taking their insurance company money. And because doctors are very much the face of the healthcare system in the United States, that lack of trust gets attached to all of us. So let's talk about what might interfere with that. You advise all of us to avoid the pitfall of what you call motivated reasoning, which you say is interpreting facts in a way that agrees with your desired outcome. So first, give us an example of that. Well, this is just an epidemic of late. And I think you can see it all over the place. I'll give sort of an older example of motivated reasoning, which is I have a patient who's a lifelong smoker and you're telling them, you know, this is really bad for you, causes heart attacks, cancer, etc. And they say, no, 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 it's fine. You know, my grandfather smoked until the day he died and he was, you know, 99 years old when he died. This is looking at, you know, one very specific data point, an isolated data point that conflicts with obviously decades and decades of much higher quality research, but it reinforces the thing that patient wants to be true, which is I want to keep smoking. And motivated reasoning very much defends the status quo. We don't like to change. Change is hard. And we saw that a lot during the pandemic. And it's a real pitfall and it can sometimes lead to really bad outcomes for patients and for all of us. And is the media, either paid or social media, big contributors in this dynamic? Absolutely. I mean, the internet in general is. And part of the reason now is that if you want to find data that supports the thing you want to be true, it's out there because the internet gives you 
instantaneous access to anything you want to believe. This happens a lot. We see this. My wife is a cancer surgeon and chemotherapy, which for many people, that's the number one therapy. That's the first therapy they're going to get for a cancer is very scary. It causes nausea, might cause hair loss, etc. No one wants chemotherapy. That's for sure. People are often motivated to look for other cures. And if you Google online natural cure for any type of cancer, you're going to find information, including testimonials, you know, from people that say, oh, yeah, I ate only avocado oil for a year and now my cancer is cured. I'm drawing that out of thin air, of course. Because of motivated reasoning, people will embrace that data and not trust the much more valid data. And of course, that's a bad decision. And if you ask any doctor, we've all had patients who have really paid the price and in some cases have died because they've trusted data that's unreliable. We're visiting with Dr. F. Perry Wilson, who's out with the book How Medicine Works and When It Doesn't. He's an associate professor of medicine and director of the Clinical and Translational Research Accelerator of Yale University School of Medicine. You say that physicians also use motivated reasoning. Tell us how so. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're all human and there's nothing special. This isn't about intelligence. It's not about education even. It's very natural to believe things that you want to be true and ignore things you don't want to be true. And for physicians, this manifests often in, and this is unfortunate, but in too much optimism. This has been well studied. None of us want our patients to do badly whether it comes to you know, a response to a given therapy or, or even the ultimate outcome of a disease. For example, if you ask physicians who treat patients with cancer to estimate life expectancy, you know that question, doc, how long do you think I have left? If you really force them, and this has been done in actual studies, they tend to be quite over-optimistic. In part, that's because we're humans and we like our patients and we very much want to believe that they're going to beat the odds, just like the patients do. And we want to believe it so much that we will look at data in our patient's record and say, you know what, this looks pretty good. I'm going to interpret this in the best possible light. And I'm going to say this patient is going to be, you know, one who really beats the odds. But it turns out that, as you can imagine, on average, everyone does on average, you know, not everyone can beat the odds. And physicians have to own up to that as well. So if the physician might also fall victim to motivated reasoning, what's the backstop if a patient goes in and wants to use motivated reasoning without realizing it, of course? I would hope that the physician and the trust in the physician would be the thing that is the backstop to help us keep our biases at bay. It's a huge part of it. And one thing I like to remind people is that your relationship with your physician is an ongoing one. It develops and we can integrate new information together. So yeah, maybe when I first saw you, we were all, you know, everything was rose colored glasses. But as we develop a relationship and I see you after a month and a couple of months and so on and so forth, we can come to be more and more honest with ourselves and with each other. That's really important. There's also some techniques that kind of trick the way our brain works. One of the things that has been very well studied when it comes to physician optimism is something called the surprise question, which your listeners may have heard of. It means instead of asking a doctor, do you think this medication will make me feel better? Which you'll get a lot of answers like, yeah, I think it will. Uh, if you rephrase that question as, would you be surprised if this medication made me feel better? Would you be surprised if this medication didn't make me feel better? That rephrasing, for some reason, 
leads to more accurate responses because I think it might be easier for a physician to say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't work. I hope it works, but I wouldn't be, you know, my jaw wouldn't be dropped if this didn't work. And there can be some ways like that to get at a little more accurate of a conversation. But the biggest one is just developing that relationship and being open with each other. Now, suppose a doctor wants to change his or her mind about a treatment plan. What's the best way to do that without blowing up the trust with the patient? And what would you say to patients about giving the doctors, shall we say, space to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear this all the time when people complain about medicine in the media. You told me that eggs were bad for me and were going to cause a heart attack. And now the next week, there's a study coming out saying eggs are good for you. And that does diminish trust because people view doctors as this like pinnacle of knowledge. But knowledge is actually changing. And so one thing I ask my patients and all patients to remember is that science is a process. And we have been wrong in the past. But the process of science has moved us ever closer to truth. And that is why we sometimes come back to you years after starting you on a medication and say, you know what, there's some new data out and I don't think this medication is right for you anymore. We need to change to something else. That's not the sign of a bad doctor or a doctor who made a mistake five years ago. That's actually the sign of a really good doctor. So I tell my patients and my friends, if you're seeing a doctor and they tell you, you know what, we've learned some new information and I think we got to change course, you stick with that doctor. You don't want one who is never willing to change. So much to know about the healthcare field. Dr. F. Perry Wilson, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.